Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, Canada and hockey fans in the United States and Newfoundland. It's behind the Maple Leaf Nets. It's right crowding them. Back to Boyle at the blue line. He fakes a shot. Rolls one in front. And Kennedy intercepted and shoots it away. I'm not going to do my usual spiel that I say at the beginning of most episodes. I will say welcome to my newest patron, Sarah White. Thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate it. I'm going to be talking a bit about something a bit more personal, and it relates to my puppy, Boris. Over the past month, I've noticed that his breathing has become a bit different. It's raspy, he's a bit out of breath more, and he tends to hack up his food a bit more while eating. So I took him to the vet, and I found that he has a uh, condition called laryngeal paralysis, which is the first stage of a neurological disease that's similar to ALS in humans. But thankfully, that's slow moving, and it's not really a concern until well down the road. But what is a concern now is the paralysis. And this is caused when abductor muscles in the larynx are not working properly, and they're not expanding and opening for a deep breath. And so it's not a horrible condition initially, but it does mean that Generally, he would have one to three years left, um, or in some cases, in more extreme cases, dogs only have a few months. So I'm looking to raise some money for his surgery. Uh, it costs $5,000, which is not cheap and well beyond what I can afford. So I've organized a GoFundMe. You don't have to, to donate. If you can even just share it, I would appreciate it. I just would like to get a few extra years with my dog so if uh, you want to donate i will have the gofundme in my show notes in terms of hockey shrines in canada two places stand above all others one is the montreal forum while the other is maple leaf gardens next season i will look at the montreal forum but today i'm looking at maple leaf gardens a place that had a massive impact on hockey and even Canadian history. It was in this building that the Toronto Maple Leafs would play from 1931 to 1999, during which time they won 11 Stanley Cups. It was in this building that music icons such as the Beatles, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, the Rolling Stones, Bob Marley, Bob Dylan, ABBA, and Elvis Presley would perform. 
in the building Game 2 of the Summit Series would be played. Princess Elizabeth would watch her first hockey game in the building in 1951. The Toronto Raptors would play six games in the building, and the first NHL All-Star game would be played there. Needless to say, it's packed with history. This episode isn't about the history of Maple Leaf Gardens, though. That would take several episodes. This episode is about when Maple Leaf Gardens was born, in the midst of the Great Depression, all thanks to a man named Con Smythe. Con Smythe was born in Toronto on February 1st, 1895 to English immigrants, being the second of the couple's two children. The family was poor and would move several times during his early life, with the quality of their home depending on how much his father was making at the time. Eventually, his parents would separate and his father would remarry in 1913. Smythe would attend high school at Upper Canada College, but he disliked it. It was at his next school, Jarvis Collegiate Institute, where he began to show his athletic abilities, playing rugby, basketball and hockey, and playing on the city championship teams in hockey and basketball in 1912. At the age of 17, Smythe left home to homestead on 150 acres near Cochrane, Ontario. He built a home, only to have it destroyed by fire the next year, so he left and went to the University of Toronto where he played hockey and captained the school's hockey team to the finals in 1914. At the outbreak of the First World War, Smythe would enlist with eight of his teammates. Smythe would earn the rank of lieutenant and was sent over to France with his unit in February of 1916. On October 12th, his unit, the 40th Battery, would be hit by shelling, killing both the Major and Sergeant Major of the unit, making Smythe the commanding officer. For the next two months, his unit fought in the trenches of the Somme without relief. In February 1917, Smythe earned the Military Cross for running into a fight as Germans were throwing grenades and killing three Germans himself and saving several wounded Canadian soldiers. In July 1917, he transferred to the Royal Flying Corps and was shot down by the Germans on October 14, 1917, and spent the remaining part of the war, despite two escape attempts, in a POW camp. Upon returning to Toronto, Smythe would start a sand and gravel business that he would own for the next four decades. During that same time, he began coaching the University of Toronto's varsity team, and it was through that team he became involved in the NHL. In 1926, Charles Adams, the owner of the Boston Bruins, recommended Smythe to John S. Hammond as the general manager and coach for the new team entering the NHL, the New York Rangers. Smythe put together a team, but he was fired just before the Rangers played their first game. Smythe would return to Toronto, and two years after he was fired from the Rangers, the team won the Stanley Cup largely thanks to the team Smythe assembled. In 1927, Smythe was given the opportunity to purchase the Toronto St. Pat's for $160,000. Smythe quickly put together a syndicate and invested $10,000 of his own money and finally purchased the team on Valentine's Day that year. The first thing he did was change the team's name to the Toronto Maple Leafs and the color scheme to white and blue, the same colors as his company, although he said it was to represent Canada's skies and snow. Known as the Little Dictator, Smythe would develop feuds with other general managers. Once, when he learned that Art Ross, the general manager of the Boston Bruins, was suffering from hemorrhoids, he sent him flowers with a note written in Latin telling him where he could shove the flowers. In 1929, just as the Great Depression was starting, 
Smythe decided that the team needed a new arena that could seat more people than their current arena. At the time, the Toronto Maple Leafs were playing in Arena Gardens, which had been built in 1912 and could only hold 7,500 people. By 1930, Smythe was feeling that this arena was simply too small for his grand vision. Over the course of the year, he began to look at various construction sites until he found one at Carleton and Church, which he bought from the Timothy Eaton Company for $350,000, or $6 million today. This may seem like a lot, but it was actually $150,000 below the market value. The site was also where William Lyne Mackenzie and his rebels fought the Canadians and British militia during the Upper Canada Rebellion of 1837. Smythe then went to Ross and MacDonald, an architectural firm, to build his new 12,473-seat arena. The construction was not going to be cheap, and to finance it, Smythe created Maple Leaf Gardens Limited, which continues to own the Maple Leafs as well as the Toronto Raptors, Toronto Argos, and Toronto FC. Now called Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, it is the largest sports and entertainment company in Canada and one of the largest in North America. A public offering of shares in the new company became available at $10 each or $170 today with a free share for every five shares bought. Ownership of the Maple Leafs was then transferred to the company in return for shares. Smythe then hired W.A. Hewitt, and we talked about him last episode on Cyclone Taylor, to be the general manager of Maple Leaf Gardens, and his role was to oversee events other than hockey, something that would become very profitable in the 1960s and beyond as the biggest bands in the world started to play the arena. Hewitt's son, Foster, who had just begun to be the voice of hockey in Toronto, was hired to run the radio broadcasts. This would lead him to becoming the voice of hockey in Canada, and he would also oversee the radio broadcast facilities, including a special area for him to broadcast the games out of. Even in the Depression, they go on printing money, Con Smythe reasoned, and that must mean there's more money today than yesterday. Let's build Maple Leaf Gardens. And when I put this proposition up to them, I don't know whether they thought I was crazy, but they said, well, this is a new approach to the thing. Maybe there is more money today than it was, Justine. We'll invest in your project. And uh, between the financiers and the workmen who Mr. Salke got to put in the money and the contractors and... And everybody got behind the project. If we were going to stay in the big league, we'd have to have a new arena. And that's uh, the tune we started to sing. Uh, We were trying to find a proper location at Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, We we knew we had to be at a height. That was the ideal location because in the Mutual Street Arena, we had operated up in in the rafters there after our first experience down below. The architect and myself went down on Bay Street, and we found that the best height, best location, was on the fifth floor. So we adapted that at the gardens to that height, and that's how we ended up on the, on the top part of the main beams at the gardens. The first time I ever went out, uh, I went out on my hands and knees. Uh, they just had a plank at that time, a metal plank that went from the, uh, what they call the fan room. Uh, you, you went out from the fan room, which was at the top of the grays. And then you went up a catwalk or a stairway that was more like going up uh, on the bridge of a ship. And you'd reach the top catwalk, which is about 90, 90 odd feet high. 
and then you'd walk straight along uh, parallel to the ice surface and go to the middle and then there was a, a ladder there that had a 90 degree drop and it went right into one end of the gondola. Of course they called it the gondola because an advertising man suggested that it was like the gondola of an airship. It had that appearance. As many people will remember, uh, George Raft, a very tough character, that he played that part all the time, and fearless and everything else. So uh, I had uh, George Raft in tow, and I warned him not to look down, that uh, just keep your eyes up. And, uh, of course, he rather sneered at the suggestion that there could be any problem at all. So I walked ahead of him, and we came out from the fan room, and, of course, the first look uh, gives you a very strange feeling, even... Uh, doing it all the time, I always got a flutter. And I noticed him, uh, his knees kind of buckled when we came out. However, he followed me up the stairway and we got up uh, and started towards the gondola. And all of a sudden I heard a crash behind me. And he had fallen flat on his face. And he was holding onto the metal support there and wouldn't let go. I could see that he was really in trouble. I was towards the gondola and I couldn't get back. So I had to kind of pry his hands loose and assure him a great many times that everything was all right. So I kind of rolled him over and turned him in the right direction and there wasn't much room, I can assure you. And uh, he went back on his hands and knees to the stairway and then was able to kind of clamber down. But I tell you, he had me worried for quite a while. Yes, I've been up in the gondola, but I just as soon go up in an airplane with no <laughs> pilot as go up in that place. The Thompson Brothers Construction Company bid $990,000 to build the arena, the lowest of the 10 bidders. They were able to bid lower because they also owned an excavation company and a lumber company, thereby cutting costs. Although not included in the price was the $100,000 for steel work. Smythe would also save money on building the arena through deals he made with labor unions to provide them with shares in the company. Employees received stock to cover 20% of their pay. These shares would be worth 50 cents each in 1935 and $100 each in 1947. At midnight on June 1, 1931, construction began. The Montreal Star reported, quote, The final obstacle in the path of constructing the new sports stadium has been hurdled. Announcement has been made that the contract for the erection of Maple Leaf Gardens, future home of professional hockey in Toronto, has been granted at a special meeting of directors. End quote. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The cornerstone would be laid down on September 22, 1935 by Lieutenant Governor W.D. Ross as the directors of Maple Leaf Gardens watched. The Kingston Week Standard wrote of the construction, quote, With the vast new Maple Leaf Gardens nearing completion, Toronto fans are taking keen interest in the structure and also in the team that will wear local colours this coming year, end quote. As part of the construction, a time capsule was buried, which was opened in January 2012. In 1931, at the height of the Great Depression, Con Smythe had a dream to build a home for his beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. It became a reality in just six months. Defeat does not rest lightly on their shoulders, and that's the way my team's always played. And a shrine to hockey fans. But little did anyone know, Con Smythe had left behind a secret. A secret that went undiscovered for 80 years. It's this small copper box, a time capsule. And today, its contents were revealed for the first time. Among them, hockey rule books, a prospectus detailing the garden's construction, newspapers, and one item that seemingly confounded almost everyone. This tiny, white, ivory elephant. I'm the baby. Con Smythe's youngest son, Hugh, was there today. Just a toddler, when the capsule was buried, he recognized the ivory carving immediately. An unlikely memento, he says, of the war to end all wars. My father met a man by the name of Lagvinov uh, when he was a prisoner of war in the uh, First World War, uh, escaped to China, where he established an import-export business uh, and sent uh, a lot of beautiful ivory carvings to my father as gifts. Uh, he came over and visited us. A remarkable man. It's relevant to Toronto's history, Canada's history. And a remarkable find. I can't think of anything that, that we have in our collection or that I'm aware of that relates like this. That's uh, where the bricklayers found the time capsule. The time capsule was found in October, almost by accident as workers were renovating the garden's exterior walls. Till that moment, Smythe's descendants had no idea it existed. As soon as we, we heard about the discovery, um, I, I know cousins were for emailing to find out when it would be revealed, if, if we could be a part of this. They were, and with an entire city watching with them, Con Smythe's 80-year-old secret was finally revealed. The artifacts will soon return to where they were found and displayed to the public at the house Con Smythe built. John Lancaster, CBC News, Toronto. After five months and two weeks, at a cost of $1.5 million or $27 million today, Maple Leaf Gardens was finished and ready to become the Hockey Cathedral. In all, the structure used 750,000 bricks, 850,000 board feet of lumber, and 22.5 kilometers of underground piping to keep the ice surface cool. Fergus, tell us about the hockey. That con Smythe, he's going to call the team the Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs? Says here he's going to build a new arena, too. Hope he comes up with a better name for it. <laughs> con, I told you, the bank can't find that kind of money to build an arena in this depression. But Sir John, listen, we have a deal with the workers. Part of their pay in shares. Part of their pay in shares? Yes, sir. Well, in that case, the bank will pick up the rest. She's going up good, Patty. You're lucky you got a job. Yes, we are. I'll be up inside of six months. What's the rush? 
we're all shareholders. She opened, ching ching, we make money. And open she did to thousands of glorious days and nights. The judgment of the people. Our father. And then one night, she stepped down. On November 12, 1931, Maple Leaf Gardens officially opened with a game between the Maple Leafs and the Chicago Blackhawks. In the arena was a sellout crowd of 13,542 people. That was the most to ever see a hockey game to that point. Tickets cost 95 cents for general admission, about $17 today, and $2.75 for the best seats, about $50 today. The game was kicked off with Pipe Major James Frazier and the 48th Highlanders of Canada Pipe and Drums performing an opening ceremony. J.P. Bickle gave a lengthy speech that drew catcalls from the crowd who wanted to watch the hockey game. George Henry, the Premier of Ontario, gave a speech but he was brief as was clear the fans wanted to see that hockey game, not speeches. Maple Leafs captain Hap Day then spoke, predicting that the team would win the Stanley Cup that year. The Windsor Star said, quote, Massed bands on the ice surface at each side of the rink lent color to the proceedings. Captain Happy Day of the Toronto Maple Leafs said the team would do their best to bring the Stanley Cup to the new arena. Captain Wentworth of the Chicago Blackhawks expressed the pleasure of his team being the first opponent of the Leafs in their new home. End quote. Mayor Stewart then dropped the puck to kick off the game as Red Horner and Mush March faced off. Unfortunately, Chicago ruined the big night by defeating the Maple Leafs 2-1. But long before that first game, all the seats were sold out for the game. Prior to the game, Con Smythe was walking with the crowds into the new building when a police officer saw him and suspected that he was someone butting his way into line. He was escorted from the premises until Smythe could confirm his identity as not only the owner of the team, but the owner of the building itself. One week after the arena opened, the Gardens had its first non-hockey event, when a wrestling show was held on November 19th in front of 15,800 people, wrestling at the event was Jim Landos, the world champion wrestler. After their first season in Maple Leaf Gardens, the Maple Leafs would win the first Stanley Cup as the Maple Leafs, just as Half Day predicted. And by the end of that first year, the Gardens had made $40,535 in profit, amounting to about $832,000 today. For years afterwards, it was the largest indoor venue in Canada for cultural, political, and religious events. Within its walls, Muhammad Ali and George Shavala would go 15 rounds in 1966, Sir Winston Churchill would deliver a speech there in 1932, and the largest communist rally in Canadian history would be held there. But eventually, Maple Leaf Gardens was too small for the modern NHL, and there was a need to upgrade. That came about in 1999 when the Maple Leafs moved to the Air Canada Centre, now Scotiabank Arena, which had 20,000 seats. Mecca. It's like going to Mecca. This is the place to be. You're a Leaf fan. I can't guarantee you anything, Sorry, sir. My uh, grandpa helped build the building, and uh, so my brother and I are here to kiss it off goodbyes. I enjoyed it all those years, and always wanted to come here, so I'm going to make it for the last game. Came a long way for this. We're all the way from Vancouver. Really? Yeah. I flew in last night, and I'm leaving tomorrow morning. It's a Valentine's Day gift for my wife. And I, oh, this is a, a gift from heaven to, to be able to come here today. Yes, I, yeah, we can't believe it. Just to be here and be a part of it. 
we can't get to the game, that's all right. We're going to try, though. <laughs> Wooden Priceless. Priceless. They're not for sale. We're going. This isn't just the end of NHL hockey at Maple Leaf Gardens. It's the end of an era for the NHL itself. This is the last of the league's original arenas still in use. After tonight, modern hockey will have lost one more link with its past. Norman Hermont, CBC News, at Maple Leaf Gardens. On the night that Maple Leaf Gardens closed, Red Horner and March Mush, the two men who took the first ever face-off in Maple Leaf Gardens, took the ceremonial face-off once again. The Leafs would play the Chicago Blackhawks in the final game at the Gardens, just as they had for the first game. And like with the first game, they lost to Chicago. February 13, 1999, marked the final NHL game at one of the most hallowed venues in all of sports, Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens. Ladies and gentlemen, from coast to coast to coast in Canada, welcome to the final night for the Maple Leafs at the Gardens in Toronto. Imagine the thrill of wearing the blue and white on this historic evening. Over. Gets hit with a shot, scores! Bob Probert will have the last goal. These are the final moments for the National Hockey League in Maple Leaf Gardens. It's now history. The Chicago Blackhawks earned the final NHL victory at Maple Leaf Gardens, putting a finishing touch on more than 67 years of memories from one of hockey's greatest cathedrals. Taking this flag to our new home, but always remember us. The Leafs' record at Maple Leaf Gardens was 1,215 wins, 750 losses, and 346 ties. In the playoffs there, they won 116 games and lost only 66 times. Thankfully, the arena still stands and is now the Loblaw Grocery Chain's flagship location. The store includes many parts of the original arena, including original seats, a red dot on the ground floor to signify the original center ice location, and a recreation of an original mural by the checkouts. In 2007, the building became a National Historic Site of Canada. And next week, I'm going to Toronto for the first time ever, and you can better believe I'm going to stand at that dot. Possibly the best stat about this building comes in the fact that from 1946 to 1999, there was never any unsold seats in Maple Leaf Gardens, not even during the toughest years of the franchise. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Maple Leaf Gardens. Next week, we're looking at the first ever Stanley Cup series. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. And I also want to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Sarah White, Tom McMillan, Mike Sullivan, Wendy Mills, Keelan Pringnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard T., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho. Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, 
Nixon Ree, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Library and Archives Canada, Historica Canada, McLean, CBC, Wikipedia, Pro Stock Hockey, Toronto Star, Montreal Star, Edmonton Journal, Kingston Week Standard, and the Windsor Star. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.